You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my gosh. Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it. Players, coaches, insiders. And of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy Duddies. Now, here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. We're horsing around for week nine. I'm Andrew Mason. Joining me here this week, Ryan Edwards, fellow host of First and Ten, Ten along with the great Steve Atwater. You can listen to us every weekday on Orange and Blue 760 or DenverBroncos.com and the Broncos 365 app. And, you know, last week was an eventful week for some of the wrong reasons. This week was eventful, but more in a football sense. That's we'll a good to, way to describe we'll it. We'll get to the game in a little bit, but first, at wide receiver, Demarius Thomas traded. On Friday, we get word that Isaiah McKenzie has been released. River Craycraft expected to fill his spot on the 53-man roster. Deshaun Hamilton not playing this week because of a knee injury. That was expected. He missed the Chiefs game. A lot in flux right now at a very crucial position. Well, and tack on the fact that you're going to have Sua Cravens back for the mm-hmm. first time this season. Going to see Alexander Johnson, who made some spectacular special teams plays over the course of the preseason, a couple of games in there. So, yeah, you're right. A, lot, a different week. A different week than last week. Last week was a lot more off-field kind of stuff. This week was a lot more about on-field, uh, at least uh, more to do with the, the actual game. And that's pretty. That's actually good news for the Broncos. I mean, not that they played distracted at all against the Chiefs. I don't think anybody's going to come away from that game saying that they didn't have their mind right for the game. That said, this is the season. This game coming up against the Houston Texans is the season, and if the Broncos want to head into the bye week with a potential or chance to do something beyond it, they have to win. It is the season. I think you put it very clearly, very accurately. At 3-6, and six, going into the bye, your playoff chances, they're not one in a million, Lloyd Christmas <laughs> and Mary Swanson chances, <laughs> but they're not good. No. Only four teams... Since 1978, the year in which the NFL went to multiple wild card teams, only four teams since 1978 have made the postseason from three and six. Yeah. So realistically, if you lose this game, the chances of going to the postseason and they're not great right now no. at three and five, but at three and six, realistically, it's probably not going to happen unless you go eight no and. If you lose this game, you're talking about, or 7-0, and pardon me, because it's seven games left. And if you lose this game, you're talking about a team that's 5-16 and in its last 21 going 7-0. and That's unlikely. Extremely. And there are still some really good teams left on your schedule. Some you're hoping to, say, split with, like the Chargers, maybe even get to you. I mean, you might need both of them. Who knows? I mean, you might need to win you lose both this, of those. You definitely need both of them. Yeah, you it, definitely need you both. You have zero margin for error. You probably have to win all the games yeah. to get to the playoffs. And then we basically know this team isn't built like that. Not not like that. I, I don't think that they're a dominant team waiting to break out. I think they're a team that, that can cover around 500 that should be able to s- escape with a couple of wins, maybe find themselves in position to make the playoffs. But right now, they're a team that is looking like uh, 
they're they're finding they're finding it difficult to close, and that's a bit of a problem because as we mentioned the leaky boat syndrome multiple times on this podcast and on the air LBS yep looking for a cure in our lifetime <laughs> I I'd suggest penicillin but I don't know if that's enough uh, but anyways <laughs> as far as where they're at right now. It seems to me that you don't need to play a complete game against the Houston Texans, but you do need to play a very good game. You would like to see Case Keenum play a clean game. You'd like to see the offensive line play a mostly clean game, which is going to be difficult against J.J. Watt, uh, Whitney Merciless, and Jadavian Clowney. But right, I, I mean, when I look at this team, I, I don't see a team like I saw them last year, where th- there really wasn't an answer. There just there there wasn't a okay. Well, if you could fix this, you're gonna you're gonna start winning games again. They had so many things that were wrong. This one, they have things popping up here and there, but there are other weeks where those things are great, and they're still playing at a really well, really good level. I come into this game against the Houston Texans, more or less pretty simplified. If you can run the ball effectively, stop their run effectively and get to the quarterback, you're going to have a really good chance. You can run the ball effectively, you neutralize their pass rush. Bingo. You can get the play action going, which in turn can neutralize their pass rush. You get the screen game going, again, neutralizes their pass rush. There are things that you can do and things that the Broncos have done well this year that allow you to combat what Houston brings with J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, and Whitney Merciless, and makes things easier on your offensive line. And that's crucial as well. You're going to get Jared Veldier back. That will help tremendously. We'll see how they rotate things. I mean, if Veldier is healthy, he's going to play right tackle. What happens on the left side? Is there a rotation there to give Garrett Bowles a bit of a breather? Vance Joseph has indicated that there may be some respites coming for Garrett Bowles, who, as we say, is in the soup right now. When you're struggling, you're in the soup. And Garrett Bowles was in the soup last week against D. Ford. I'm a little concerned about that in the sense of the what I've always heard from offensive tackles about switching from one side to the other. And I thought that uh, Andy Lindahl and uh, Tyler were talking about it the other day. I thought they, they made a great point, the reference of it's like all of a sudden trying to go into a boxing match and say you can punch only left-handed yep. if you're a right-hander. And so to say, Billy Turner, you've been on the right side. Now we're going to have you alternate with Garrett Bowles on the left side. That sounds to me like a problem. Like That sounds to me like, like maybe hoping for something to happen that may not be able to. Yeah, I remember... I wish I could remember which player said this to me. Said, okay. Because I asked him, oh, for the fans that may not understand, explain what it's like going from one side to the other. And he said, okay. Everything you do right-handed, do with your left hand. Everything, Like if yeah. you answer the phone, if you write, all of a sudden, do it with the other hand and figure it out. It's take tough. some time. It's really tough. You'd figure it out. It would, you would t- you'd figure it out, but it would take time. Not time that you could find in a game yeah. going against the best 3-4 defensive end in the game, I think, in J.J. Watt, and then guys like Clowney and Merciless that partner they're, with him perfectly. They're relentless. Yes. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. So so for me, I, I know a lot of people are like, that's exactly what you do. You alternate reps, you that, alternate snaps. And I'm it like, only just... works smoothly in Madden, and I think yeah. – the maddenization of football fandom yeah. is one thing that frustrates me because you'll say, oh, well, I'm just going to take this 220-pound wide receiver and put him at tight end when you're playing Madden. I'm going to take my right tackle and move him to left tackle. 
you can do it in the game that's fairly seamless. Mm-hmm. Reality is something entirely different. Yep. And that's what I'm worried about with the, the crowd that says, okay, that's what you should do. You start alternating. And I'm like, Billy Turner hasn't been played left tackle this season. And everything has been right side, whether it's been right guard, which he played sometimes in the mm-hmm. preseason training camp, or right tackle. It's all been right side for him this year. I'm a little concerned. Uh, it's it's going to be a tough matchup, but Garrett Bowles has shown he's had good games. Look, he had a great game against Arizona. One we said that that might be a little bit of a challenge going against J- Chandler Jones. Mm-hmm. He had a spectacular game, maybe his best as a Bronco. So we know he's capable of it. He's done it even in this season. The problem is, is he followed up that performance to go against Kansas City and maybe had one of his worst performances we've seen this season. And that that's where you're saying, what are the trends? Mm-hmm. The trends are problematic. Yeah. The trends are problematic, no doubt, and if the Texans' pass rush gets loose, as it could, it could be a frustrating day for the Broncos because we saw last week they could run the ball effectively, and that wasn't enough. Of course, that being said, Kansas City's offense is better, much better, Agreed. than the one that the Houston Texans will bring in on Sunday. It's not that the Texans aren't explosive, but at the same time, you look at, say, Deshaun Watson, and I think you and I are both convinced that he's going to have a long, productive, terrific career, that Houston has its quarterback for the next 15 years. But he's not playing at the Patrick Mahomes level, and if he doesn't have the five-touchdown breakout performance against the Dolphins last week, you're talking about a guy with 10 touchdowns and seven picks. The narrative on Deshaun Watson going into this game would be, boy, he's not the same coming off his torn ACL. He's still not all the way back. After that game against Miami, I feel like the narrative changed in some spots, but to me, it maybe shouldn't have. There are things he's doing well. There are things he's struggling at a little bit coming off the injury. I'm 100% with you. He still holds the ball too long. He wishes And there's a number the- behind that, too, from Pro Football Focus. Yep. Only Blake Bortles has held the ball in the pocket for two and a half or more seconds more often than Deshaun Watson. And he's also taken more hits than any other quarterback in the league. That's a, another statistic about Deshaun Watson, and those are usually signs of co- younger quarterbacks uh, not realizing that you need to get the ball out f- a lot faster. And that's a problem. And they got a, they got an offensive line that's really banged up, and they're they're kind of on second and third string guys across the board. They've been moving tackles on each side. That they're still trying to figure some things out along that thing. But they've been they've been winning games in the meantime. See, that's the difference. Like the Broncos, more or less, have had some changes as well on the offensive line. They've had it, but they're losing games. The, the the desperation level is completely different. The Texans are finding ways to win because their defense has been pretty locked down. But you bring it up. I mean, the, the game against Jacksonville a couple weeks ago. He didn't have to do very much in that game. Lamar Miller ran, rushed for 100 yards. He got the one touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins. He made the timely throws when he needed to, but otherwise it really wasn't – he was a game manager. Yeah, he, he really – he basically was what Blake Bortles should be every single game for Jacksonville, but he can't stay out of his own way. Then Deshaun Watson has the five-touchdown performance against Miami in prime time, and so you're right. Now the narrative about them is, okay, the offense has figured things out. The defense is playing pretty good. This team might be one of the toughest, hottest teams in the league. There's some truth in that. But up until then, they'd had some up-and-down performances. Against the, the win against Buffalo, Sean Watson was terrible. I mean, he was terrible. Now he's hurt, but he was terrible. Does Houston win that game if Nathan Peterman isn't forced into the lineup? I don't believe so. I mean, Deshaun Watson executed a, a game, a game tying drive, to get them to thirteen to thirteen. But that's it. You were thirteen to thirteen at home against a bad Buffalo against team. a bad Buffalo team. It, w- it wasn't a good performance. And again, I know he was banged up, but 
you know that there's been so so much up and down from the Houston Texans this year. If it, I, I'm 100 percent with you, if it wasn't for that five touchdown performance, this would be a bit of a different dialogue about them. It was interesting because until that Dolphin game, I looked at Houston as being the classic example of a team that was playing to the level of its opponent. Good point. They played a good game against New England back in Week One. They lost 27-20, but they played them tough. Yeah. They go to overtime and lose against the Titans in Week Two. They come home against the Giants. The awful Giants right now, mm-hmm. awful, and lose at home. Yep. They were 0-3. Yeah. And, and then, all of and a sudden, Bill play, O'Brien was on the hot seat. Right. And, oh, man. We were talking about on the air that week. Yep. Is, does he have the hottest seat in the league with the Texans at 0-3? And then, as we talked about on the air, <laughs> Frank Reich decides, I'm going to go for it on fourth down in my own territory in the waning moments overtime. And... That seemed to unclog things. But even then, until the Miami game, it was a series of close games for Houston. Yes. Everything within a touchdown. Yep. So you give them credit for that. You also can say, okay, it's a team that... Maybe that's the outlier. Yeah. It's a team that just is going to scuffle around with teams and play games that can go either way. Now, to their credit, they figured out how to win those. The Broncos won a couple of close games early, but they lost to Kansas City by four. They lost to the Rams by three. Yeah, they made it close at the end, but still ends up being a three-point game when all is said and done, and they lose at Kansas City by a touchdown. So the Texans are winning the close games. The Broncos have lost more close games than they've won. It means that the game is reachable for the Broncos, but it also means that this Houston team is doing the, th- the little things that make a difference in those games, and how do the Broncos get to that level of doing the little things right that make the difference? Because if they're going to get out of this and turn 3-5 and five in the first half of the season into 6-2 and two or better in the second half of the year, they're going to have to win the close ones because it looks like a lot more close games are coming if they play at their current level. But if they can somehow survive and win this game against Houston – it might give them the confidence that they're turning a corner. We kind of hoped that the Arizona Cardinals game would be a bit of a, a corner right. shift for them. And in some ways it, it was, and in some ways you know, you still felt like you didn't like their chances at Arrowhead. But if they wouldn't have followed it up with a game at Arrowhead, let's just say they followed it up with, with a, a home game like after the Arizona game, they followed up with the Houston Texans game. Maybe they, they, they win the Houston Texans game because they're coming off of a, a really big high of Arizona, and then they get the Chiefs. Like, if you flip those two games, who knows what we're talking about right now? But I'm just saying that that, that, was, a t- that was always a tall task. They played a great game. They played them better than anybody else has, and I'm hoping that they use that as a way to fuel this matchup against the Houston Texans. Well, I think in terms of overall level of play, if the Broncos play as they did the previous three games, they ought to win this one. Demarius Thomas factor is going to be fascinating. Who knows how that's going to go. Now, certain things favor Houston because he can go to all the wide receivers in the Texans' locker room and say, okay, here's what you have to do against Chris Harris Jr. Here's what you have to do against Isaac Yadam, Adam Jones, Tremaine Brock because, of course, Bradley Roby is out. It's a big loss. It's a huge loss. So Even the haters have to agree yeah. with that. It gets shaky after that. It does. So Demarius can go to the receivers 
even though they won't have Will Fuller, of course, which is why Demarius is there. If Will Fuller isn't hurt, Demarius Thomas is not a Texan right now. It, I'll put it this way. If Will Fuller was in this game, I'd feel much differently about it. I'm not kidding. I, if Will Fuller was playing in this game, I'd Taking be, the top off of defense? I, I would actually pro, I would likely be closer to the Texans' side of, of this game. Would you have picked them? Well, we'll never know because Will Fuller is not playing right. in this game. Because Ryan picked a final <laughs> score of 22-18 to 18 Broncos, which, by the way, no 22-18 to 18 game has happened in the NFL since at least 1940, according to Pro Football Reference. I would be freaking brilliant if it does, though. It would have been like if Steve Atwater picked a tie Thursday night and it turned out to be a tie. Just saying. But we digress. So the Texans receivers will have intel from Demarius Thomas. Denver's defense, on the other hand, of course, they know what Demarius Thomas is going to do. They've faced him every week. I think that ends up being a push, and I don't think Demarius Thomas is all of a sudden going to go in there and unlock the secrets of the Broncos' offense, at least the ones that aren't already on film, because he can say things about the audibles, pre-snap checks, all that, but you're changing those every week. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not... I'm not as stressed about it, I understand some of the the fans' reluctance on this, but I'm I'm not as stressed about it. I ultimately, whatever he tells them, they're also aware of what he knows about the team. There's some tendencies maybe of Case Keenum that he can share, but that's really on the Broncos. I, I think I think Chris Harris, whether directly or indirectly, kind of shared a little bit about the way they viewed that. Is he look look you win your matchups. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how Chris Harris like, – and he wasn't answering it from the offensive side of the ball. He was answering from his side. He's like, look, it's all about matchups. We win our matchups, we'll be fine. Who are you putting on DT? I liked Steve's idea of putting Chris, locking down the number two with your best guy, mm-hmm. and then you, put, you do bracket coverage or have somebody over the top on DeAndre. And you generate a little less pressure if you take the safety out of pass rush, box responsibilities – you're putting a lot more maybe on a safety or a linebacker in coverage on a tight end, and Jordan Akins has just been okay so far this year, but we've seen that Will Disley had a big game against the Broncos back in week one. Yeah, but I but I wonder there if the opportunity to have Sue Cravens back maybe helps a little bit with that. Well, that's what you brought him in for, tight yep. ends and running backs. Yep, and he's going to be a sub-package guy, at least probably – on Sunday, maybe roll, grows into a bigger mm-hmm. role. With these two out, you need him to play. Like I mean, he he has to play, mm-hmm. and he's gonna ha- he's gonna be required to to help you out. But that's probably you know he'll play up in the box. He'll play covering some of those running backs and linebackers. They haven't been using Lamar Miller a ton in the passing game, no. and Alfred Blue isn't that guy anyways. So I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just saying they haven't done it. So I, I'm not so stressed out about the running backs out of the backfield. I'm just worried about the, the random tight end because the, in that Miami game, they did have a tight end catch two touchdowns. You bring up Sua Cravens, and I think it's not just key in losing Darian Stewart, but Sua Cravens is also a factor in finding a way to replace Brandon Marshall. Yeah. You wonder how things are going to look in coverage. Might this be a game where when the Broncos get to the sub package, Maybe sometimes you see Todd Davis or Josie Jewell, but maybe perhaps you're looking in the box and seeing those two guys in linebacker alignments instead of seeing a safety in a linebacker like Brandon Marshall. Maybe you're seeing two safeties. Maybe you're seeing Sue Cravens and Will Parks. I'd love that. I, I really would. And 
there's going to be some opportunities really for for all of them to play. And I mean, again, and I also would like to see Simmons mm-hmm. covering covering guys as well. I mean, he's he's one of your best slot corners yep. right now, and I, I think I think in 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 some ways, I think this is going to give Joe Wood some versatility that he hasn't had. Um, mm-hmm. I, again, you don't want to lose guys. You, you definitely don't want to. But I think there's some versatility to be had having Sua Cravens back in the defensive side of the ball that, that he gets. I'm not saying it's going to happen this game, but I also can't wait to see Alexander Johnson play an inside linebacker role, especially on early downs. I, I think he could be an absolute animal when it comes to stopping the run. I think certainly on special teams we'll get a glimpse of that. Yes. Hopefully he'll make a play. The Broncos have been getting some good plays on kickoffs in particular. Kick Joe Jones back against the Cardinals helped to set the tone, and maybe you have Jones and Alexander Johnson setting the tone on kickoffs on Sunday. So that's something to watch. But I think Joe Woods has an opportunity with Sua Cravens in this game because there's very little film with Sua Cravens as a Bronco. You just have that preseason finale, and that's it. And he's playing with a lot of guys who aren't with the team right now. So you can use the element of surprise with Sua Cravens to your advantage and confuse that Houston offense and confuse Deshaun Watson, who is a very savvy, very intelligent quarterback. But maybe you get him a little bit off guard with some looks with Sua Cravens that he hasn't seen on film. I think that's the idea. You're going to have to get to him, though, and – I think the the point that Joe Woods made is keeping him inside the pocket. It's a lot like playing Patrick Mahomes. You want to keep him inside the pocket. You want to keep him holding the ball and confuse him as long as you can. He's going to be looking at DeAndre. He's going to be looking at DT. And he'll be looking at Kiki QT when he's available. But there isn't a lot of other guys that he's going to be looking at. Right. And so if you can get him to his third progression when you need him mm-hmm. to, the Broncos should be able to get home by then. And, and look, you got Von Miller and, and Bradley Chubb, who are two of the top ten Pass rushers in the league right now, you're going to get Shane Ray back. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the Broncos' chances to be able to confuse him a little bit and maybe disrupt. Final question before we go, and coming up next, Jared Valdir conversation we had with him in the locker room this week. The Broncos beat the Texans if blank happens, and don't say if they score more points. <laughs> I like wouldn't some do that to you. Weisenheimer <laughs> might tell us when we put this question out sometime Yeah. Uh, the, the Broncos get to the Texans, and they win this game if uh, Philip Lindsay is a big factor, if they can control time of possession. I know it sounds very cliche, but in this case, you want to you, you limit the opportunities that Texans offense can be on the field. And uh, ultimately, the, the final thing here is not allow J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, and Whitney Merciless to wreck you. That's if those big. guys don't wreck you, I think you got a really good chance because I actually think Case Keenum's going to have an opportunity to take advantage of some of these uh, banged-up defensive backs for the Texans. There are some things I can look at with the Texans. For example, in the Bill O'Brien era, when they win the turnover margin, they're 24-3, and 1-15 when they're minus 2 or worse. When they run less than 36% of the time, which shows that you've got the game flow in your hands and you're forcing them to pass, they are 0-13 on Bill O'Brien. But I'm going to put this on the offense. They protect Case Keenum up front long enough to allow him to get comfortable. Receivers get open downfield. Case Keenum avoids the mistake Sometimes it's a single mistake in a game, but the one mistake that has kept him from having a clean game. He needs a clean game at some point to unlock things. So he plays a clean game because I like to throw this stat at you, Ryan. The Texans under Bill O'Brien 
are 0-21 when they allow the opposing team's quarterback to have a passer rating of 107 or better, and they're 1-26 at 94 or better. So if Case Keenum is Minnesota Case, no mistake Case, efficient Case, I think the Broncos get to four and five. Love it. Well, we talked about the tra- the trends with Case Keenum over the last four games. He's uh, seven touchdowns, four interceptions. His quarterback rating is is significantly jumped up from the first four games. So if you're, I, I bank on Case Keenum having a, at least a better than uh, eighty five to ninety quarterback rating just based on where he's at over the last four games. I think he can get there, and I think he can get there against that de- that secondary who's going to be missing some key guys. Good stuff, Ryan. Appreciate it. Coming up next, Ryan. And I talk with Jared Valdir, who is going to play Sunday and play extensively. Here's that conversation. All right, chatting here with uh, Broncos tackle Jared Valdir. All right, first of all, how you feeling, man? Good, good. Uh, glad to be back on the field. Yeah. Uh, are you? Uh, I mean, mobility-wise, I mean, so so far, I mean, is it? Does it feel like you're you're close enough this week? It sounded like Coach was saying that he thinks you're going to be playing. Yeah, it feels really good. Uh, you know, I'm moving around well out there, and uh, you know. Definitely, I don't think I can do my job. Have you gone up against J.J. Watt before? And if so, what kind of challenge was that last time? Um, I think the last time that I played the Texans when J.J. was out there was when he was a rookie. Um, so, you know, it's been a, a long time. And, uh, you know, he's you know done some really awesome things since then, uh, you know, being player of the year and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a big challenge. And, you know, he's there. They got a good rushing front, and they all play really good. You know, synergistically off one another. Uh, so it's probably our, you know, our biggest challenge to date, uh, with with just a good pass rushing unit. Yeah, it seems like uh, the Texans are kind of rounding into form a little bit right now. They're on that five-game winning streak. They were leaning a lot more on the defense. The offense is now obviously doing a little bit more. But as far as uh, facing a team that that's kind of hot like that. Um, that one kind of confidence uh yeah you know it just ups the the challenge and you know you up your urgency and your in your preparation because you got to prepare for you know you know a, a great team coming into your house uh where do you think uh, you are with the knee as far as like percentage wise is it 100 percent? is it close to that or just well enough to play yeah, you know, I could probably only squat like 900 pounds right now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I've never even squatted that much before. Uh, it, like I said, it, it feels good. Uh, it feels good. Uh, you know, it's midway through the year. No one's body is feeling amazing. So, you uh, know, as long as it's good to go, I'm good to go. So the offensive line, of course, uh, while you've uh, been out, uh, have had a couple of guys that go down, and there's been a lot, a lot of transition. How, how difficult is it for the cohesiveness, just in, in general, like for you, with all the changes that tend to happen over the course of a season, how difficult is the cohesiveness for the offensive line when guys are in and out like that? Uh, you know, it, it's it's something that it's, it's hard to, first of all, it's hard, it's hard to just play, you know, have everybody healthy through the whole season, not offensive line. You know, I think maybe that's happened like, one of my years in, in nine years playing and you know that's that's kind of a crazy you know very fortunate thing to have uh you know unfortunately yeah we, we lost ron and you know guys are in some different spots uh so you know you just have to you have to go out there and, and communicate with them and, and work it during practice the good thing is you know we've been together since since april so it's not like it's a stranger you know none of the guys that are in there you know that we've you know signed somewhere else and they've come in and we don't know the person. So, you know, you know the person next to us. We 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 know they they know us, uh, and it just comes down to kind of you know just working out some lingo stuff and that's about it. 
for the team as a whole, what would a win on Sunday mean to, as far as kind of getting things back stabilized and maybe starting a run here in November? Yeah, it just gets us back to where we want to go, back on track, uh, you know, get back to, to the winning column and uh, and go after our goals. I, know, I always know when I've talked to offensive line in the past, I mean, you want to be great in pass block, you want to be good at everything, but you guys, but offensive linemen to a man always love being great in the run. And this team right now, I mean, the offensive line, the way the offensive line has been playing, I'm sure you've got to be pretty proud of, of how the progress has been made in the run block. Yeah, I know we really like it. It's hard to be, you know, hang your head and be, you know, proud of something during the season because uh, there's always room for improvement. And, you know, if, if you just, you know, stop doing what we've done now, you, you're not accomplishing your goals and, you, you know, you're not a great run team. So, you know, we got to keep pushing and, and, and pushing and, uh, you know, and, and have that to, to lean on down the stretch, you know, uh, to build off that and, and keep building in the, in the other realms. But uh, it, it's a good thing. You know, it's definitely a good thing. You know, I don't think anyone's just looking back and saying, dang, this is, you know, we're doing a really good job, patting ourselves on the back, that kind of thing. I don't think that's happening. Uh, you know, we're pretty focused. And, you know, obviously we want to win games. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter what's happened. We want to win. Uh, so we got to do whatever it takes to do that. Obviously you guys are doing a good job making holes up front this year, but what are Phil and Royce and Devante doing that is allowing them to capitalize on the holes you're making? Uh, they're doing a, a great job finding it and, and, and hitting it hard and uh, not hesitating and, you know, getting to their spot, getting north and south, and then making great plays, just great efforts. Uh, I mean, the, the, you've seen, that you know, all the guys back there, you know, slip tackles, just make great phenomenal runs, uh, and they're hard guys to bring down. Uh, you know, they all bring something a little different to the table, uh, and I think that kind of plays into a good synergy. You know, it, it makes that unit stronger. Last question for me. Uh, I, I'm sure after this last game against Kansas City, some of the frustrating penalties and all of that, um, what does it take for an offensive line to build consistency week in, week out when it comes to penalties, when it comes to being good in pass pro run block? What, what does it take in your opinion? Uh, it takes a great, great work ethic and uh, just great, great determination in, in going out and practice and focusing on working on the things that you need to work on and, and not just going out there to get through practice. You know, it, it takes going out, identifying the things that you need to work on, and making an emphasis individually to work on that in practice. And then you keep doing that through the season, you'll keep getting better. And finally, uh, how did you think uh, Garrett and Billy did the last few weeks, and uh, what kind of advice are you giving them to kind of keep them up and keep them on the right track? Uh, you know, I think those guys are playing their butts off. Uh, you know, there's it's, it's, it's tough when, when you're you know, not winning football games. Uh, and uh, there's always, you know, stuff that we can get better at. We're always, you know, kind of together as a unit, getting our heads together, you know, along with the coaches, you know, what's what's our best way to get this done? What do we need to correct? And, you know, everyone keeps a really good attitude and, uh, and just that growth mindset of, of continuing to move forward and, and get to where we want to go. Good stuff from Jared Veldier. Appreciate the time and really good for the Broncos offensive line to have him back in the lineup. Coming up next, Paul Klee of the Gazette in Colorado Springs joined me in the Orange and Blue 760 studio at the Pat Bowen Fieldhouse this week. A long, expansive conversation about where the Broncos stand at midseason. Here we go. Back here, horsing around with friend of the program, Paul Klee of the Gazette in Colorado Springs. You've been in the hot seat a couple of times this year. <laughs> it's a good time, I think, to bring you back. The Broncos are sitting here at midseason. They've just traded the second-leading receiver in franchise history. 
interesting times in Bronco land. You know, uh, just a few minutes ago, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, none other than Emmanuel Sanders, said the exact same thing in those same words. It's interesting times here before he conducted his uh, scrum media <laughs> session. So I don't know if that was on the record or off, but I think he hit it on the head. Yeah, it's been an unusual week. Demarius Thomas being traded, obviously not a surprise. When, Juicy, isn't it? Yeah, when when he said 50-50 <laughs> in the locker room in Kansas City last Sunday, yeah. and I heard that after the fact, it's like, oh, well, that means he's got a good idea that he's leaving. But I'm going to give you an interesting what if. Mm-hmm. We're going to go down the rabbit hole here. All right. Okay. The Broncos only became willing to make the trade when they got an offer they wanted in terms of draft pick compensation. And the Texans in the wake of losing Will Fuller, met that standard. Thus, the deal came together. But what if... What if, and believe me, this is so (laughs) hypothetical. You go back to week four. The Colts are playing the Texans. Mm -hmm. And Frank Reich goes for it on fourth down in his own territory near the end of overtime, does not get it, Later says, I'm playing for the win, but basically because they didn't convert it, the Colts played their way into a loss. Mm. And right now, the Colts are 3-5. and five. If they don't go for it there, they're probably 3-4-1. and one. And the Texans, who knows what they are, because looking at Houston's season, that was the moment it started to turn around for them because they lost three in a row and they were staring down the barrel of 0-3-1 and one. I don't know if the Texans put their season back together in the way that they have if Frank Reich doesn't go for it and fail. So if that call is never made, <laughs> where are the Texans right now? And are they trading for Demarius Thomas? Or are they sitting there at, say, 2-5-1 and one and thinking, no, we're not making this deal? You, you know, they're not making this deal, if that's the case. If we go back or we take another jump into the rabbit hole, I would love to see the Chiefs record since Gary Kubiak opted to kick that field goal and go for the win against the Chiefs. What what year was that? 2016? It was 2016. It About was the, week seven, week eight, something like that. Well, the, it was the game in Denver, right? Yep. In overtime. So that would have been week 12. So you play two guys that played for the win, doesn't pay off, and it sends the opponent – on a bit of a run and it, it it's just a minor just a subtle one move like that can change the course of a, a season and in this case Demarius's career well for the record to look back at that after that game which the Chiefs won of course that game started a five and one regular season run <laughs> to close that year they lost in the playoffs but let's just for Equality of argument's sake, consider the regular seasons only. So that would be 5-1. and one. And then they started 5-0 and oh the next year wow. and finished that season 10-6. and six. That sounds So good. literally, that moment launched them on a 10-1 and one right. regular season run, 10-2 and two if you include a playoff loss to right. Pittsburgh. That's really something. Wow. And, and Kansas City's AFC West record since then is extraordinary. It, it's, a, it's a Peyton Broncos-like AFC record. Mm-hmm. And it is something how that happens. How we look at that night, and I remember writing 
I like the move. I actually liked the move. I think you played to win. You you try and win the game when you have the opportunity. Didn't mind when Indy did it a few weeks back. But shoot, I guess we should probably learn from our mistakes and say next time you play for the tie. Well, I think what's interesting, I, I think in general decision-making can be too risk-averse mm-hmm. in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But there's also a prudent time to roll the dice and a prudent time to just take what's there. In the case of Colts-Texans, in your own territory, going for it, you're not even guaranteeing yourself a chance at a kick. You're just keeping the drive alive. Mm. The argument I can make for Kubiak is that he did have a, an opportunity to win the game right then and there with one of the strongest legs in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But for Frank Reich in his own territory, you have to have probably another first down after that or close to it before you're talking about a field goal shot. So they're not quite the same, but it's interesting to look back at those choices. <laughs> and you wonder now with you had two ties at the start of this season. There will almost certainly be more ties going forward because of the current overtime rules. Each team getting a possession if the first team does not score and only having a 10-minute regular season overtime period. And playing for the tie is something that teams may consider from time to time and may have to account for because there are going to be more records over the next few years if these overtime rules stay the same. More records of 9 6 and 1 8 7 and 1 10 5 and 1 4 11 and 1 this is the new reality that's right and and mace you know me really well that i'm open to the idea of changing my mind i'm okay with changing my mind yes whether it's college basketball or politics or decisions to go for it on fourth down take it a step another step further jack del rio remember early in his time with the oakland raiders yes when I think it was against the Saints, and I may be wrong about that, but it was a very early game. They go for the win. He gets it. Jack Del Rio is the toast of the Bay Area, mm-hmm. aside from Steph Curry. A year later, two years later, Jack Del Rio is gone. Yep. So <laughs> maybe this is a case where uh, Paul Klee and the rest of us uh, on Twitter need to decide you don't always have to go for it because that can turn out to be a negative. Although in theory, you're better off going for two every time. The Steelers have figured that out. Yes. Because your conversion rate on two-point conversions is about 54%. That's why talking about the Titans game in London against the Chargers, I hate the play call, but I love the decision to go for it there at the end because their chances were actually better because you have you have a 94 95% chance hitting the PAT for one, but then overtime is 50-50 roughly, and then your chances of getting the two-point conversion right then and there are 54%. So you actually had a better chance with a two-point conversion than getting the PAT and going to OT. All the numbers that we will go through, and your (laughs) numbers are are usually the best of those numbers, the deepest of those numbers, the simplest might be kind of applicable to what we're talking about. Spread in this game is one. Oh, this game is hard to figure. It's a one-point spread. And that's a team that's coming off a game in which – its quarterback needed how many throws to have five touchdown passes. I mean, they were sharp. I think it was 19. Yeah. He threw five touchdown passes. That's a quarterback who's at the peak of his game right now and looks every bit as good, maybe aside from Patrick Mahomes, as one of these young guys in the league. And this afternoon I asked Bradley Chubb about it because Chubb played against 
Deshaun Watson several times. Right. He got that five touchdown dealt to him one time. Deshaun Watson <laughs> threw five touchdowns on Bradley Chubb in college in the ACC, and the Mahomes comparison is actually the one that he made. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, that because Deshaun Watson still hasn't recaptured all the mobility that he had last year before the ACL. Maze, he's so good. But he is he's his so feel. Good. And I, I loved watching him at Clemson, and I was sold on Deshaun Watson coming out. Some people weren't. I think some pointed to, mm-hmm. you know, okay, lack of velocity on his passes, didn't have the raw arm strength. I p- looked at his presence, looked at his leadership, looked at the fact that he went against Alabama mm-hmm. in consecutive years in the national championship mm-hmm. game a pro-style defense with NFL-caliber players mm-hmm. designed to stop him. Mm-hmm. And he beat him. He just winked at them and kept right on coming mm-hmm. and shredded them two years in a row. One year won the game, one year didn't, but was the best player on the field both times mm-hmm. despite the fact that Alabama keyed everything around containing him. Mm-hmm. It was, and it turned out, the complete opposite of Vince Young. Yeah. But when Vince Young would roll through NFL-type defenses mm-hmm. in college, he looked like that type of can't-miss guy. Yeah, This kid, we, I, we could be totally wrong about him, but I think the sample size is big enough in large games, in, in games mm-hmm. of significance, and that's when I think you learn what a quarterback is made of, that there are a few guys in the league I'd take ahead of him. I, he, I think he is really something – and I'm I'm stoked to watch him. I'm really fired up to be able to cover this game because I think this def- the Broncos defense is going to turn in its best performance of the year on Sunday. It's a bold statement. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have Bradley Roby out there on the field Wednesday as we record this. So if he's not out there, that certainly compromises your secondary. And the reason why I bring that up, the interesting thing about Deshaun Watson, we talk about his mobility. This is a guy who will also stay in the pocket mm-hmm. Sometimes to his detriment because it means he will take the hit. But he is very patient at giving his receivers a chance to get open, to break off their routes, and that's the kind of thing that causes you problems on the back end. Now, against Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller, he may not have the time he wants to do this. But over the course of the year, only one quarterback, Blake Bortles, has had more pass plays in which he spent two and a half seconds or more in the pocket, according to Pro Football Focus. Ooh, that's a good one right there. Yeah. See, that's good. Now, well, I have a weird quarterback rating system when they're coming out. One of those is, is one of my many Brady factors, which is what's his backstory? What did he come from? Um, you know, does he need it? Does he need it? Does he, want, yeah. does he need to have this? Deshaun Watson needed this. Yes. He came from... A really difficult situation, and then won a national championship. So um, I'm high on him. I like him a lot. I think what we'll see very early is a quick out to Demarius Thomas. Mm -hmm. I think it's on the first possession. I think they look for him right away, and it's not one of those things where let's look for him to get him going. That's not it. Demarius is not going to have a huge game on Sunday. It's going to be tough to learn a playbook that quickly, but he's going to try and get him the ball really quickly in the first and second series, at least as a tribute, if nothing else. And, you know, Demarius, it's going to yeah. be a six- or seven-yard out, or he's going to do a slant across the middle, something we've seen 660 times here. Uh, an easy pass for six yards. I think we'll see that. I'm actually thinking it'll be the slant. 
mm-hmm. the kind of play that he was working last weekend in Kansas mm-hmm. City. I could see them trying that. We were talking on Wednesday's show, first and ten, ten on orange and blue, seven sixty. I said, I think he'll be targeted six times. Mm-hmm. He'll end up with four receptions for somewhere in the neighborhood of forty-five yards, and most of those are going to be on that quick slant. That move the chains play when you've got second and seven and you need right. eight yards. That's the kind of thing I think they'll do with Demarius Thomas right away. It's not an apples for apples exchange putting Demarius in for Will Fuller. Mm. No. And they're going to have to adjust some things, especially until Kiki Cutie. Isn't that good? It's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> and Justin Adams is in here. He's just laughing right now at this whole thing. How do we come up with Kiki Cutie? I don't know. To, I'm gonna have to find the. the I'm gonna have to, there's got to be a backstory there because that sounds like <laughs> a nickname. It's not exactly. It sounds like the kind <laughs> of name that someone would give him when he was two years old. That he had a young sibling right. that couldn't pronounce his name, and it came out Kiki. Right. No. No, I'm I'm with it. Yeah. I'm all in on Kiki. But eventually, I think they can use him to take the top off a of defense mm-hmm. in much the same way they did with Will Fuller. But he's still working his way back. And they would prefer to get him the ball in the slot. So Houston's offense is going to have to gear shift a little bit without Fuller. And the other thing, as good as Deshaun Watson has been, his per-game average in terms of passing yardage Mm -hmm. drops by about 100 yards when you take Fuller out. Mm -hmm. Well, Fuller's a really good player. Yes. He carried my fantasy team for one. He's a gifted player that can – he's a deep ball threat. He's a cross-the-field threat. He can do a little bit of all, all of it. He is a really good compliment to Don, De, DeAndre Hopkins. A very, very good compliment because he's not a one-dimensional. He's not a. You're not going to get redundant routes. Right. You're not going to. You're not going to see the same thing several times. So, uh, it's no. It makes a ton of sense from Houston's perspective on why Demarius Thomas is the guy that they targeted. Now it was probably Amari Cooper before that. Is my guess. Um, but Demarius is just a reliable, steady hand that you can you can lean on when you need to. And Andre Hopkins is everything. And so um, good good for DT. I mean, when he was talking the other day to us in Kansas City, I couldn't take my eyes off his wristwatch. And that's probably the point of wearing a watch that, you know, could fund a down payment on my house. And so what I appreciate about him is he didn't, look at it as oh what a bad deal for me I have to move after eight and a half years he's grateful for the opportunities that he has and I think that's the thing that will stick with me about DT is he's always had a good grasp of the big picture mm-hmm. um, he's seen all angles of it he's seen all quarterbacks he's seen every all OC kinds of quarterbacks when you have Tim <laughs> Tebow one year and yeah. Peyton Manning the next year yeah, you couldn't stylistically they couldn't be any more different and he produced yeah okay you know the game, the play is, of course, to Tebow to, to Thomas. But the game was that Vikings game up yes. in the Dome. And that that's one that gets lost because there have been so many. But that's when it began that for him. That Vikings game down the sideline, across the middle, especially down the sideline, the deep ball. It, how many yards did he have? I mean, he had a monster game. I think he had a buck 60 right around there off the top of my head. I think, for me, I heard this on, on sports radio because – I'm a sports radio nut. And, and we appreciate that. Yes. About the Dez versus DT debate was never settled. 
Absolutely it was settled. It was settled because Demarius is still playing, because Demarius' teammates adore him. Every guy we talked to today had a story about Demarius from Philip Lindsay talking about the the free Big Mac that Mm -hmm. he got when he was at South or probably actually in middle school after the Steelers came because of DT to Bradley Chubb on the defensive side talking to him, to Emmanuel talking more than he said in two years to us mm-hmm. about Demarius. So that's why DT wins that debate. Ability-wise, I still take Demarius because of how durable he is, and that's, that's an ability. Hasn't missed a game since early in 2011. Remember, he had the Achilles injury, mm-hmm. and then he had the th- finger injury right at the start of the season as he was about to come back from the Achilles. He doesn't play until the sixth game of the year against Miami, mm-hmm. and he hasn't missed a game since then. By the way, on that Minnesota game, I was off. It was a buck 44 on four catches, two touchdowns. But the thing With I remember about quarterback. that. quarterback. I mean, that's yeah. no small thing. That was such an, a weird game in a weird week in Fun. a good way. A mm. couple of things happened. Number one, it's the second half where the Demarius breaks out because Minnesota is stopping the zone read option, and then great job by... Adam Gase and Mike McCoy at halftime to completely shift the offense. They come out in the second half. They're running I formation. And you've just got, you know, Willis McGahee running off tackle. And then you're complementing that with play action and shots over the top to Demarius Thomas. It was a conventional <laughs> offense of, say, 1985 or so for 30 minutes. And it worked brilliantly. The other thing that happened that week. Rod Smith was in the receiver's room that week, and all the guys in there were griping. Not getting targets, not getting the ball, you know, (laughs) frustrating. And Rod Smith told those guys that you have to make the most of the chances that you get. Okay, you may not be thrown at more than four times in a game now because of the way this offense is and what kind of quarterback Tim Tebow is. But you've still got to maximize your opportunities. And the guy it clicked most with was Demarius Thomas. I think part of the reason why is because he came from Georgia Tech, Mm. where they ran triple option under Paul Johnson. And he learned there that you've got to make the most of your shots in an offense that is not air-centric. And down the stretch, that after that, down the stretch, that was where he became elite. It didn't happen with Peyton Manning. It happened with Tim Tebow. Yeah. And that says a lot about Demarius Thomas's skill set. He was not a creation of Peyton Manning, as some like to believe. Yeah, he he was great in his own right. Great scores. You know, mellow uh, guys that they just, they just get buckets whenever they want. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter who their point guard is, and it doesn't matter who's guarding them. And Demarius... It has been a step back. He's lost a step. You know, we've lost a step. <laughs> we all lose a step. Some of us have lost several. <laughs> I don't catch as many fish as I used to. But it's... Fish are faster? They're smarter. You know, these <laughs> millennial trout, man. They're, they're, their brains may be the size of a pea, but they're smarter, I swear, because they don't eat the same patterns that I tied five years ago and caught fish on. We could do a whole show on that if you wanted. It's for the um, off season, but yes, I did talk fly some fishing fly fishing hour. with Josie Jewell this afternoon. So that's if my office is listening. I was actually working, but he likes to talk fly fishing. 
Um, does he fly fish? I think maybe you need to get him out yeah, on the river I think sometime. So. He's been three times since he moved to Colorado, and he's completely hooked. I mean, he is all in. So he's becoming a Coloradoan full on. He embraced it, much like wow. Will and Sutton. Yeah. So Cortland actually had his fishing rod shipped to him about three weeks ago. Oh, cool. And he got, when they got here, he said it was the best thing I've gotten in the mail. So this is why you know that <laughs> these rookies are going to be good. Yeah. Because they want to fish. Yeah, that's, that's my uh, take on it. So Cortland Sutton, that's a good player to bring up as mm-hmm. we're talking about Demarius Thomas because he's one of two guys that are going to benefit the most mm-hmm. long term. The other is Deshaun Hamilton, but probably won't see him again until after the bye, and he would probably step into the number three role. So actually in terms of snaps, he will probably see the biggest bump. But Cortland Sutton now becomes the guy that you're hoping becomes what DT was. Mm -hmm. The torch has been passed now to Mm -hmm. him. Emmanuel Sanders is your wide receiver one, but it feels like this was the moment where Thomas passed the baton Mm -hmm. to Sutton or had it passed for him. Yeah, there's uh, we could go on about his physical gifts. Uh, We know he's big, he's fast, he's really strong, he's smart, he's all that. Uh, the idea that he's going to be as good as Demarius is a reach until we see it because we got to see it. DT was as steady as you come. I think Cortland Sutton was the best draft pick since Vaughn Miller. That's my feeling on it. Wow. I think he is a a gifted young man, and I think he gets it. I think he he grasps because of the fact he went out for college basketball when he didn't need to because he worked – his father put him to work really young on the farm, and he was building fences when he was not very old in the eighth grade. That was how he paid for his school money because he comes in here the first day after he was uh, drafted, and he deferred. He talked about Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas and Rod Smith and guys that a rookie should know about. He did his homework. He did his homework. I, I love the fact that he mentioned Rod Smith. <laughs> right. And so there's all those things. Demarius did that as well when he came into. That was one of the things I remember about him. Yes. That he knew the guys that came before him. Obviously, he got drafted by the Broncos and maybe had to do a little bit of research. But you know what? Patrick's good at that, too. Yeah, but that's what you're supposed to do. It is. And so those are the reasons that I feel like he's going to turn into. um, He's got a chance. I'll put it that way. He's got a chance to be uh, one of those guys. Um, that's we talk about years later. So uh, it's not just his skill set and how big and fast he is. I think he grasped the whole picture. You know, what Demarius did is exactly what Corlin Sutton did. He found guys that had made a whole bunch of money, and he did exactly what they did. That's the smartest thing you can do aside from hiring a driver and someone to handle, handle your social media. Those are the most important things a, ro- a rookie can do. Find someone who already has a very large bank account and do exactly what he did. And Cortland grasped that very quickly. We had two guys in front of him mm-hmm. that he could watch. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders, nobody works harder on the practice field. He gets after it. Yeah. You know, something that, that Chris said today, um, Chris has evolved in his role as a team spokesman. Today was a great example of how Chris Harris is different than a couple years ago where when he was first asked about Cortland Sutton today, he said it's a lot different when you go from playing 
against a nickel to being a number two. Mm-hmm. There's a subtle reference to Bradley Roby there. Yeah. Chris Harris knows that. And it's part of the reason he said it because that jump has been really hard for Bradley Roby. Then Chris Harris goes back a minute later and says, I don't know how the guy wasn't taken in the top 10 of the draft. So he hits him with, you better work hard, kid. And then he brings him up because you know they're all reading this stuff. Mm -hmm. This is a very turbulent time here in terms of which way this can go. They're reading everything. And Chris Harris was smart enough to build him up, but also tell him you better work at it because we're expecting this of you. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, he grasped it, too. a wise man said. Yeah, he, he gets it. And um, the leadership question has been a big one since Peyton Manning and DeMarcus Ware left. Um, it's a good opportunity yeah. for Vaughn and Chris Harris to really take a step forward in that respect. Yeah, one of the reasons why this is such an interesting time. I think it was the Chinese proverb that said, may we live in interesting times. These are interesting times. The leadership issue, you've lost Peyton and DeMarcus over the last few years. And that part of it is in transition. I was Mm -hmm. talking with Andy Janovich, Mm -hmm. who is a team captain. Mm -hmm. And I asked him today, and you're going to be able to hear that interview on the pregame show leading up to Sunday's game on Orange and Blue 760. Join us on air or join us at the Mile High Mountain Village. But... Andy said, as a leader, he felt like he had to kind of be true to himself. And for him, it was just leading by example. He said, yeah, I'll give advice if guys come to me, but my role is to lead by example. And when you have leaders, you need some of those guys, but you also need the verbal guys. They complement each other well, the quiet leaders and then the vocal leaders. The reason I I love doing this podcast with you is because... What I've learned over the years here, and especially with in basketball, is all those things that we kind of throw around like they're kind of silly, the leadership, the chemistry, all that stuff. It matters more than ever. Yes. Now, it is, it's not become less of an important thing. It's become far more of an important thing because it is a different type of generation. And the coaches speak to that all the time about how the guys coming in are different than they were 10 years ago. Whether it's college basketball, college football, the NFL, anything. They're just, they're different. And the Denver Nuggets have finally embraced what it means to be invested in a program. The Broncos, when Vance came in, he had the idea that they were invested. They weren't. You had a volatile mix of young guys and guys who already had their championship ring. That's a really difficult thing for a first-time head coach to piece together and make work. And I think he underestimated how difficult that was. And honestly, the Broncos probably did as well. If Emmanuel Sanders wants to get paid like Emmanuel Sanders wants to get paid after this year, the rest of the season is not solely about production. Because if he's going to get paid in that way, he's going to get paid in a way that he's going to be a number one. Mm -hmm. And a number one is a lot more as expected of a number one. More than just playing. More it's than not just a, production. You could put up the biggest numbers, mm-hmm. but that's not enough. Right. And so this is a, you know, this is a really good chance for him to add another zero <laughs> to the end of it. <laughs> all right. Because he hasn't been the leader that he's needed to be. 
And you could probably argue that, but I don't think he has. Now you got eight games with a couple of young guys that got a lot of potential, a lot of ability. The next team that wants to look for a number one, they're going to call the Broncos and they're, they're going to know Broncos coaches and assistants and scouts. How did Emmanuel Sanders handle that? Mm-hmm. But if he handles it well, are it's you trading him? Are you letting him go? I am. I'm moving forward. I think that when you invest not only those two picks, but four picks in back-to-back years, Mm -hmm. even if those guys aren't playing, um, I think you at some point have to go with the young fellas. And I say that as someone who thinks Emmanuel Sanders may be the most underrated free agent signing um, in a long time here because he's been damn good, man. He's been so productive and so – so productive. Um, and for his original contract, yeah, he gets paid it's, it's nuts. as a wide receiver three, basically, mm-hmm. for a veteran. He's making about $5 million a year, mm-hmm. and he played so far beyond it. What's interesting, I remember the reason why he was available at that price was because nobody knew if he could really step up into a bigger role, and he answered that question so fast. He was drafted ahead of Antonio Brown. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. How about that draft? That 2010 receiver draft, that's when you—that's an all-time receiver draft when you look back on it. That was Demarius's year. Mm-hmm. That was, you mentioned Antonio Brown. Eric Decker just retired and was very productive here. Yeah, yeah the Steelers know how to pick wideouts, don't they? Oh, yes. <laughs> it helps that you have a quarterback who stays in the pocket mm-hmm. and gives them a chance to break off their routes and make plays downfield because the production of all of those guys – craters when Big Ben isn't back there. But, yes, they do know how to find those guys. Yeah. That's going to be – I like – see, and maybe this is the um, – just a sports fan in me saying this, but I felt it with the Rockies this summer. It's not Rocktober that I realized this year I look forward to. It's Rock June and <laughs> Rock July and Rock August. When they're becoming. When they're, when they're coming and they're competitive – We have four games coming up here to cover where all four of the next teams would currently be in the AFC postseason. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) will they be there at the end? Who knows? I mean, somebody always goes in the tank. That just happens. But right now, these are four of the six best teams in the AFC. I'd really like to see the Broncos be competitive in those games and win these first two. This first one before a bye, because if you lose this one, you're three and six going into a bye. What are you playing for? And so I haven't done the calculations yet, but I know right now at three and five, you're behind the eight ball. You're at about an eight percent chance historically of making the playoffs. So three and six, I imagine it's somewhere around three percent. Yeah, probably so just guessing. Make December interesting. You so know, you have to win this. And then you said the first two, and I'm glad you said that because that second game is in LA against the Chargers. It's great game. It's basically a neutral site game. Right. Now, they should have Joey Bosa by then. Mm-hmm. So they should be better than they are right now. But at the same time, we see week after week the Chargers having these home games that aren't home games. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of that. That's Last right. year, you had probably 18,000 Broncos fans that were just dying for any reason to cheer. Remember Domitop Pecco getting his arms up when they were down 14-0? Those people were just 
waiting to burst, and the Broncos <laughs> gave them nothing. Literally, actually. Exactly, literally. The, only, the first shutout since <laughs> 1992. This, this, Give them something. This, just, they, they want to believe in you. They, they want to explode. They want to turn to that odd Chargers fan sitting in their row and say, <laughs> This flight to Kansas City the other day, I had just gotten back from vacation, and the flight over mm-hmm. was jarring. It, it was, one, I think, I think we flew through a hurricane, and two, <laughs> it was full of Chiefs fans going home. Going to their hometown to watch the Chiefs. Wow. Coming back Sunday night after the game, it was Broncos fans. So the Chiefs had stayed there with their families or whatever. And the Broncos fans all said the same thing. You know, me and kids were on the same flight. They all said we were just waiting for something. You know, we wanted something to happen. It just, they're not getting that play they're close they're They're closer than they were last i love what will park said in the locker room when he said we're close but we're not getting closer yes and they're they're frustrated man they're frustrated if they lose this game mace it's not going to be pretty but this is a game you you should win you should beat the texans at home your roster is good enough to beat the texans at home and i want to see him play well this is a game you should win and play well and the texans Looking at them, this is a team that plays to the level of its competition for the most part. Mm-hmm. They go to New England, they lose by seven in week one. Play them tough. Played well. Yeah. Two weeks later, they play the Giants at home, and they play to the Giants' level, which is dreadful, and lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're playing a lot of close games. Again, really the exception to that rule is the Miami game last Thursday night. Kind of had the Osweiler factor. I think they were... Pumped right. to go against their old quarterback a little bit. Their fans were certainly pumped. You should be. Yeah. These guys should be stoked on the idea of this game. Yeah. That Demarius Thomas is on the other side, and as good of a man as he is, and as good of a teammate is, you should want to beat him. And if you're one of the wideouts that's coming up and suddenly gets more snaps, you should want to play really well in front of him. Well, that's the thing about this trade. It's a baseball-like trade. (laughs) Right. Not only trading an asset right now for future assets, but also, this is an example. You've got the stud prospect who's coming up, metaphorically speaking, at AAA. Right. He's waiting for the shot. He's done everything he has to do. Cortland Sutton is just waiting for that opportunity to burst. I hope... It works out like Ronald Acuna Jr. when he came up to Atlanta and they promoted <laughs> him, and he just starts shredding people. Yeah, like uh, mm. I thought. I thought DT was going to the Pats. I really did. I, I he, hoped he wasn't. I, I I thought it might be Philly. Yes, because I Philly need be and, the and they end up getting Golden Tate. But I thought, yeah, you thought the Patriots. I thought the Eagles just cut. Thought that place made mm. more sense for him. Mm. And I no, it does. And I wasn't sure if the Patriots would meet the compensation that the Broncos would have wanted. Yeah, I remember back when the Broncos played the, the Pats in the AFC Championship game in 13, John Elway, John Elway was asked, um, I think there was only like four of us there, asked, are you modeling anything of what you're doing after the Patriots? And it was as matter-of-factly and blunt of a no mm-hmm. as you will get. So the idea that the Pats would overpay for a Bronco is completely out of the question. There, there's still very little love lost there. But I wanted to see Demarius catch passes from 
Handsome Tom for selfish reasons. I was going to say maybe this is you want to watch the world burn or at least Broncos fans burn because the sight of Demarius Thomas it would tickle with the flying yeah. Elvis on his I'm helmet. I'm a minority here. Yeah. I, I, I do think, though, that like so he was watching the game Monday night. He was watching the Patriots game with Emmanuel Sanders thinking he was going to go to New England the next day. And now you turn around and you're playing a team that the only team you've known. It is a very unusual scenario. And it's juicy, man. I like it. I like this game on Sunday. And I think it's a very interesting game. And I think a lot of people out there actually feel that way, that this is a very interesting game because a lot's going to change if they don't, if it doesn't go well. Now, I've seen a different Vance in the last 10 days. It, it's a guy who is now on the brink of possibly going out. And he's going to, if that's the case, He's going out the way he was supposed to come in. He's put his foot down a little bit. He's spoken to us differently. He's, he's hinted at the idea of benching guys. He's talked about DBs that, you know, in a way, as a former DB himself, um, it's critical. And this is the guy that I've wanted to see that, you know, he's not, a, he's not a hardliner. He's not a Bobby Knight, but he's a guy that will put you in your place if you need to be. And finally, we're seeing that, you know, we've kind of been waiting for it. So that's that's the impetus, the idea of, you know, my belief the Broncos play well on Sunday, and I could be really wrong. I've missed three in a row, so I'm on a bad streak right now. I'm back to four and one on the Broncos. So you'll get there. I don't know if you should listen to me or not, but I think the Broncos play well because of that. And now the exquisite Philip Lindsay, <laughs> who had the great Big Mac story today. God bless him. God bless Philip Lindsay for being a Bronco, by the way. <laughs> Where would this thing be without Philip Lindsay? I don't even want to think what the record. That's would wild. Be. I mean, that is a one in seven. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. He has been terrific in every aspect, and good scouting. I mean, yes. it's a little bit fortunate because he's just up the road. When and did you know watching him? You know, we like to say that we saw him at South, and then we saw him in Boulder, but that's not true. Nobody thought. There's nobody outside of the Lindsay family um, that thought this would happen. Yeah, because I knew did. I won't. Yeah. They did. I've talked to Tony. I've talked to his uncles. Yeah. They really believed this. This is not a surprise for his family. I knew I really wanted him on this team. I feared he would go to New England, but I knew I really wanted him down at the Shrine Game. When here he is, the smallest guy on well, the we field. We didn't think he could do this. Yes, yeah. but he was. But it's full contact, full speed against a lot of guys who are going to be drafted, and he is just slamming up into the line time after time. That I, and I was watching with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards, and I said all week, the thing I love about him is that he has no fear. Mm -hmm. And he has things that you can do skill set-wise that give him a role right away. But I said, you can put him between the tackles so you can leave him out there. Yeah, he's Deion he, Lewis. Yeah. That's who he is. He's you Deion Lewis. He's not a situational back. Now, there are situations you want to get him to, and the best thing for the Broncos is having another back with him, but just because he's in the game doesn't mean you're not going to run off guard, and because of that, defenses have to take him seriously, and that's what jumped out to me that week is that he's a guy who is going to be electric in space, but you don't have to abandon big chunks of your playbook because you have a five foot eight running back out there, mm -hmm. you can do everything with him. It 
I don't know who started the trend. It probably probably the Pats. But you see our guy from Western at with the Chargers, Austin Eckler. Yeah, he's a terrific player. Yeah. I, I want him on my team. And then you see all those little dudes running all over the field at Arrowhead that we see them when we're walking past them, going to the locker rooms after the game. And Mace, they're our size. I know. And so the AFC West has kind of been taken over by this diminutive playmaker that doesn't care that he's going to get smashed every time because they really do. They take hits, man. Philip Lindsay takes some hits. So I don't know how long this can go, but it can go divi- a while. The bi- division has been changed by these guys. And the kid from Western is a terrific story. Just it, a terrific. He couldn't even get a pro day. Yeah, it, it, it can go a while. And I'll give you two names that show me why it can go a while. Work Dunn and Darren Sproles. Work Dunn's a good one, man. That's a good one. And the key for both of them was that they were always partnered with other backs. Mm. So they didn't have to carry the entire load. But Work Dunn, he comes in a year after Mike Allstott. And it was your classic thunder and lightning combination. Kept work done fresh. They could use him effectively. But again, just like with Philip Lindsay, work done, you could run him up the gut. And he was tough enough to get yards for you. And I I get the work done feeling in my heart when I watch Philip Lindsay. And you know me being from Tampa Bay area. <laughs> if I right. say that, that's right. That's special for me that I see Philip Lindsay and I recall watching work done scoot through and around people <laughs> and send the Tampa Stadium and Raymond James Stadium throng into hysterics. That's why when, you know, Jamal Murray starts hitting shots, I get mock mood flashbacks. <laughs> so that's what it does for me. My favorite nugget was Chris Jackson, Mahmoud Abdul Roof, and uh I'm just when I see Murray do that, so I get the same feeling. My favorite college team <laughs> that I didn't pull for, but just a neutral fan, that was LSU. probably the LSU yeah. team with Shaq and Chris Jackson, 1990. Yeah, imagine them now with the new offensive rules. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's they had Stanley Roberts going through there as well, remember? A game. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How did that team only advance to the second round? Uh, it's like the team <laughs> with Wiggins and all those guys at Kansas a couple of years ago getting knocked out by Stanford and Bead. Yeah. Losing in the second round. It's one of those deals that just mm-hmm. don't make sense. Um, but this, with Lenz, with Phil Lindsay, you can't use him too much on Sunday. Because then you get two weeks to say, Phil, here's a cold, a cold tub. Here's a six-pack. Yeah. Go drink this. This is the Go game chill. for him to have 30 touches. Go watch six seasons of The Wire and don't do anything mm-hmm. for a week. This is the game where you really ride him hard because along with Emmanuel Sanders, he's your best offensive yeah. player. You can't do it every game. Right. This is a game you But can. every so often, and CU did that as well. Every so often, he'd have a game where he touched the ball 30, 35 times. If there was a moment that called for that, this is it right here. At the minimum, I want to see 25 touches right. from Phil. Feed Phil, as I say. Keep this interesting. Make this rock July, rock August. Make it interesting. I don't... <laughs> I don't want Bronx this Vember. to go away, you know. I, I know I'm in the minority here, and I've, I've been really hard on Vance Joseph. I've been really hard. But the, the guy we've seen the last couple weeks, he's a little bit different. And it's got me rooting for him. I'll be honest with you. It's got me rooting for him. And I'd like to see if you win a couple of these, win, get back to 500. You're not chasing wolves. 
These teams in the wild card, they're just okay. And you play them. And you get you to play two them games against up. the Chargers. You have a game against the <laughs> Bengals. Am I crazy thinking this? Like, I think it's going to be a really hard road with a team that hasn't proved it can win on the road. He's 0 9 or 0 10 on Sunday road games. Make it interesting for us, you know? He's got me rooting for him. So I hope it happens. I hope so too. Appreciate it, my friend. Right on, buddy. Thank you. Thanks to Ryan, Jared Valdir, and of course Paul Clee for stepping into the studio at the Pat Bowen Fieldhouse. For everybody on Horse and Around, I'm Andrew Mason. Bye-bye. This has been another edition of Horse and Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horse and Around.